I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Hi, my name is Elias Ayala, and um, I'm going to be bringing uh, to you guys a series of videos covering the topic of Christian apologetics. Now, uh, I'm going to define what apologetics is for you in this video, but I want to give kind of a brief overview of kind of what I'm going to be doing uh, throughout the course of these videos. Um, I believe that the Bible not only teaches us that we should defend the faith, but it also provides a method um, by which we should do that. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to cover uh, the key biblical text um, that we usually cover when we talk about apologetics and lay out why I think these particular passages in Scripture actually give us guidelines as to how this is done, all right? And then uh, along the line, when we're going through the method and how this is all done, um, we'll, we'll kind of show you how you interact and engage other perspectives like atheism, uh, Mormonism, some of the cults and things like that. Um, and then kind of show you how all of this applies, how we put into practice these biblical principles that give us a framework for defending the faith, all right? So, in this video, um, again, it's going to be very casual here. Uh, If you have your Bibles uh, with you, hopefully you're watching this video and you have your Bible in front of you, I'm going to turn to the main passage of Scripture that is always brought up when someone reads, uh, you know, books on apologetics and things like that, and that is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, all right? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and here's what it says. But sanctify Christ, or sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, other translations says sanctify Christ in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do so with meekness and fear. Now, I read out of the New King James, uh, your other translations might say something a little different, uh, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you, yet doing so with gentleness and respect. Now, it is this verse, uh, this verse in Scripture, where we get the word apologetics from. And the word apologetics comes from to make a defense. It's the Greek word there, apologia, okay? 
and um, it usually is given within the context of making a defense in a court of law, right? So there are a couple of things that, that we get here uh, from this passage, is that the, the, the verse here actually presupposes the defensibility of the Christian faith. And so that should explode a lot of our stereotypes where we say something to the effect that Christianity is just based on faith, and it really doesn't matter, this is just what I believe strongly in my heart, right? A lot of people have that mindset, as long as I sincerely believe, then that's enough. But if you reflect upon that a little more, you, you'll recognize very quickly that it's possible for someone to be sincerely wrong. And so just because you hold to a belief that's sincere doesn't mean it's true. And the Bible presupposes its own defensibility and is commanding us to always be ready. All right? Now, so if we can just define our terms just very briefly. Apologetics comes from 1 Peter 3.15, and it means to give a defense. All right? A couple of things about giving a defense. Um, defense can be both defensive, obviously the word defense, um, but it could also be offensive. You can provide a defense of a position by also providing an offensive attack on, um, on a particular position that is attacking your own. All right? So defending the faith can come in the form of answering objections and providing a positive case for your own perspective. All right? So there are different ways and different dynamics of the concept of apologia, defending, that you want to keep in mind. All right? And the Bible gives us warrant for both the offensive and the defensive aspects of apologetics. All right? Now, as I said before, when you read books on apologetics, um, many of these books will focus on that part of the verse, always be ready to make a defense, right? to give an answer for those who ask for the reason for the hope that's, that's within you. Um, and that's usually the focus. We need to always be ready. We need to always be ready. Um, but I think what is very important to point out is that many of these books fail to highlight the importance of the prerequisite that is provided in this verse, the prerequisite for always being ready to give a defense. Right? We, we're very quick to go to the defense part because that's where we do the arguing and we do the debating. Um, and sometimes that's really, you know, some people can look at apologetics as, as that's where all the action is, right? And so we want to rush to that point real quick. I want to learn some cool, you know, logical arguments that I can use. And how do you answer the atheist? How do you answer, you know, uh, the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness? Um, and I think we can do this in a way that is not honoring to God. And I think that's something important to keep in mind. It is possible to defend the Christian faith in a fashion that is itself not honoring to Christ. All right? Think about that. We can defend the Christian faith, but do it in a way that's not honoring to Christ. And I think one of the ways that we do that is that when we uh, take a look at verses like 1 Peter 3.15, we ignore the first part of that verse, which is not to always be ready to make a defense, but it is to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Right there is the necessary prerequisite for giving a defense. Set Christ the Lord apart in your heart as Lord. He is Lord over our heart. Now, the very interesting thing about the biblical use of the word heart is that in the Bible, the word heart rarely, if ever, refers to the actual organ in your chest. Okay? Um, a lot of people will, will have this, um, you know, they'll make this false dichotomy between heart and mind. When I when I'm when I'm using my mind, that's referring to the intellect, and the heart refers to my emotions, right? That's not the way the Bible uses the word heart. In many cases, the word heart is equivalent to the word mind, okay? In Hebrew thought, the word heart often referred to what we know as what is called the seat of the will. It is the part of our intellect that goes into decision-making, 
Now, I want you to think about that. If the heart is, in a sense, the mind, then we are to set apart Christ as Lord over our minds. What does this mean? That when we're engaging in an intellectual defense of the Christian faith, our mind, our thinking process must be governed by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All right? And so our minds need to be renewed. Oftentimes, it is the case that we are saved, we're in Christ, but our thinking isn't saved. We still think like unbelievers, especially when we're engaged in things like science and philosophy and history. We've adopted, we, we, we have a tendency to adopt kind of the worldly conceptions of how that all works itself out, as opposed to renewing our mind after the image of Christ and thinking about things in a way that is reflective of biblical revelation. You see, in apologetics and in all reasoning whatsoever about anything, we all have to have a starting point and a foundation. And for the Christian, the foundation, the highest ultimate authority, must be God himself as revealed in the scriptures. And so the way that I think, the way that I argue, is going to reflect God's revelation and how he has revealed the nature of the world to me, right? Now, if you don't start with Christ in your thinking, you will run into all sorts of problems uh, in regards to, uh, you know, having discussions with, with unbelievers. Oftentimes we adopt unbelieving starting points and then we engage in the defense of the faith while not standing on Christ, but rather holding something up in a greater position than Christ. Maybe it's the use of man's reason. Maybe science is our ultimate starting point or something like that. But for the Christian who wants to engage in always being ready to give a reason for the hope, uh, we must start with the lordship of Jesus Christ over all our thinking. All right, the Bible is filled with verses that speak about the authority and supremacy of Christ over our thinking. Uh, take, for example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Let's turn there real quick. The book of Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. Okay, this is always the embarrassing part. I'm supposed to be the, the, the one teaching the Bible, and sometimes you're looking for that one particular verse. You're like, wait, where, or the book of the Bible, where is that, you know? Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 3. I'm actually going to read verses 2 and 3, and here's what it says. All right, verse 2, it's kind of in mid-sentence, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right? So all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ, then how can our intellectual starting point in apologetics in science, in philosophy, in history, or whatever the, the, the subject matter is, how can our foundation be found in any other place other than in the authority of Christ himself? Now, you might be thinking, what on earth does Christ have to do with science? What on earth does Christ have to do with history? What on earth does Christ have to do with any of the subject matter that we engage in universities and academia and things like that? Well, he has everything to do with those things. Because if Christ is the one through whom all things were made, everything in the world, everything in reality is defined in light of how Christ has revealed it in his word. The omniscient, all-knowing God has revealed to us the nature of reality, and that's how we are informed in regards to what the world is actually like. And we need to stand on that. You see, because that is what it means to set Christ apart as Lord. He is our foundation. He's the very lens through which we see everything, all right? And so 
you might be thinking, well, if we're talking about apologetics, where are all the arguments? Where, where are the, the, the cool kind of, uh, you know, quick answers that I can give to, to a certain perspective? We can go through those, and, and for sure, we're definitely going to cover some of those, those things. But you need to understand that when we study apologetics, we're not just looking for quick answers to various objections. What I want to highlight to you is the importance of not just what to think, but how we are to think. The very method by which we reason must be grounded in the foundation of Scripture because Scripture reveals how we are to think, the very method that we are to think in terms of keeping God first and foremost in our reasoning. All right. Again, as Proverbs 1.7 says, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. You do not attain knowledge by some other means. First, you begin with fear and reverence of the Lord and what He's revealed. And then, through that humble submission to the God of knowledge, he grants us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. All right? Very, very important. All right, so, so let's take a look at another very important verse uh, in apologetics, which is found in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Okay? There we go. Book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. All right? All right, here's what it says. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay? So why do we do apologetics? Why do we engage in the defense of the faith? And a lot of people are tempted to say, well, you know, you have to be super smart to do that kind of stuff, and so I'll leave apologetics to my pastor, or I'll leave apologetics to, you know, the seminary professor or the super smart people. But, you know, I'm just kind of the average Joe. I go to church on Sunday, I listen to the sermon, you know, and, and I go home and I try to live my Christian life, you know, quietly, not kind of getting involved in all of the conflicts that are happening around me. Well, um, I don't think that is a biblical way of approaching this issue because the Bible is commanding us to always be ready and it's commanding us to be able to contend for the faith once for all delivered, okay? Now, notice the necessity of this task. He says, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, look what he says. He says, I found it necessary. Defending the faith is a necessity, right? In the face of objections and in the face of people dragging the name of Christ through the mud and making false accusations against the Bible, against God's character and things like that, it is necessary that Christians are equipped to speak out against those things with a reasoned, logical, and loving defense uh, to those who bring these accusations. So he says, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting, uh, exhorting you to contend, to fight earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You know, um, that last part actually really caught my, my uh, attention when I was reading this, uh, you know, a few years back when I first uh, started getting into this kind of stuff. Is that some people ask me, uh, you know, Eli, you do apologetics. What are the best, what's the best book you can get for apologetics? You know, there's always that, you know, there's always that level where you kind of become the bookworm. You know, like, man, I watched a debate or something and I want to really learn how to do this. What's the best resource that I can use to get into this stuff? And I always give the cheesy, overly Christian answer, but it's true. The best book that you can get for apologetics is the Bible. Master the content of your faith and you will be ready to defend the faith. Now, is, is, that, is it the case that it's only the Bible? Is that, does that mean books on philosophy and critical thinking and science aren't important? Well, of course not, right? But the Bible creates that foundation. You cannot defend something that you don't have any knowledge of. 
And so many of my interactions with unbelievers required me to really engage in Christianity 101. Many of the times, it's me correcting misunderstandings of the Christian faith. And so I'm brought to certain scriptures that I'm like, oh man, that scripture is really helpful. Knowing the scripture equips you to contend earnestly for the faith. And notice what it says here. It says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What was delivered to the saints? What was once for all delivered to the saints? It was the faith. It's the content of Christian truth, which is found where? Where is the content of Christian truth found? The Bible. That's right. So it's the Bible. The Bible is where the content of the Christian faith is found. And so we are to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered. If this book or these 66 books comprise the Christian faith, then we must dedicate our lives to learning it, mastering it, and not only learning and mastering for the sake of the intellect, but also using what we learn and what we master from Scripture. We use that in our lives. Because there's an, another interesting aspect of apologetics, and that is um, the lived out part. All right? I'm not saying that rational argumentation and the use of logic and things like that is, is not important. But sometimes the greatest defense of our faith is the fact that we consistently live out our faith. That on the one hand, we say, look at the wonderful and transformative power that Christ has in, my, in our lives. And, and to be able to live in light of that is itself a very powerful witness to those who don't believe. See, a lot of people who engage in apologetics are happy with just knowing the facts and winning arguments. But you know what? If you speak the truth like a jerk, it doesn't matter. You're going to close off those... Um, you know, those lines of communication. That's why it's important to remember that other part of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3.15, if I can move back to that verse. What does it say? As I told you, many people forget the first part, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, and they go straight to the always be ready. But another part that people forget is the last part of that verse, right? Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you, yet doing so with gentleness and respect. You always need to remember that. I don't care how right you are. If you are not gentle and respectful to those that you're speaking with, you're going to close those lines of communication. And even if you're right, the method that you're using when you're, um, uh, when you're insulting and arrogant, the method that you're using is not itself honoring to Christ, even when you're using good arguments. All right? So we need to be consistent in that regard. All right? So we're to always be ready. We're to, we're to sanctify Christ. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. Um, and, and, and to whom are we to contend the faith uh, uh, towards? All right? Apologetics usually is done within the context when, when we kind of read the books on apologetics. It's usually, you know, Christians versus like the atheist, right? Or the agnostic or the skeptic. But, but look what it says here in Jude chapter 1 verse 4. Look what it says. I'm going to read 3 and 4 and kind of see how they're connected here. Jude says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for, his, for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They've crept in. Crept in where? Well, what's the context here? They've crept into the church. And so apologetics is not just the defending of the faith and contending for the, you know, for the gospel against the atheist. Sometimes apologetics is required within the confines of the church where you have false doctrine and things that are, they spread throughout the congregation like a cancer where you have these false and biblical, unbiblical ideas 
that are promulgating the, 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 um, the flock of God and are affecting people in a negative way. So apologetics has that important aspect to it as well. We defend the faith outside to the unbelievers, the atheists, the agnostics, the cult members, and things like that, but we also defend the faith from within, all right? And the way that we do that is with gentleness and respect, and we engage in that defensive aspect, answering objections, and we engage in that positive aspect, aspect giving arguments and uh, evidence for the truth of the Christian faith. It can be done, um, but it's very important that we learn to do that by mastering Scripture, both intellectually and in application, as we consistently live out with our hand the profession of our mouth. Thank you very much. I hope this uh, brief lesson is a blessing to you, and I look forward to um, teaching some more and going into uh, the importance of a worldview. Why are worldviews important in this in this kind of uh, you know this kind of field of study apologetics? All right. Well, take care. God bless. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com.